0: Well, thank you for tuning in for the first ever Men of Mariners podcast. We're pretty excited to get this podcast going. We are going to be uh, occasionally doing things like this, where we interview friends, church leaders, uh, business leaders, and having all sorts of great content and conversations. Uh, And the Men of Mariners, we're all about inspiring men to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. And this is just another venue and place where uh, we can inspire men so that they can be activated and become fearless world changers for the kingdom of God. And so I'm excited because I have my friend Mitch Mayer from Katy, Texas here with me this morning. And um, thank you for tuning in. Our hope is that this would um, inspire you because we're going to uh, interview him and we're also going to go into some of God's Word. We're going to be hanging out in Second Timothy today. It's going to be awesome. So Mitch, welcome. How you doing? And, and what do you have to say to us and the men of Mariners? Well, thanks
1: for having me. I'm doing really, really well. I'm glad to be here at Mariners. Um, I'm Mitch Mayer. I'm from Redeemer Community Church in Katy, Texas. I'm married to Tara. We have three girls, Macy, Molly, and Maddie, and uh, just excited to be able to visit with you and hopefully be an encouragement to the men here at Mariners.
0: Awesome, Mitch. So just a little background on our story and how we met Mitch is uh, we have been using as a church the Clarifying the Bible um, curriculum and content that Mitch is famous nationwide for. Um, he is a gifted Bible scholar, lead pastor of a church, and he loves God's Word, and that's, that's what we're going to be talking a bit about. But we... we We've been using that content for a while in that curriculum, but then uh, we had him out to share with our men um, and do Clarifying the Bible, which basically is... Sharing the entire Word of God, every book of the Bible, in a two hour window, which obviously that is very wide, but not necessarily as deep. Um, but it gives us a clear picture of how it all comes together. And he does a fantastic job of that. But um, he came out here about a year or so ago. And then a few days later, something pretty crazy happened back in his hometown in Katy, Texas. You want to speak a little bit about that, Mitch?
1: Yeah, I came out mid-August of 2017 and um, had a great time teaching clarifying the Bible to the men, got home, and uh, probably, I don't know, 10 or 14 days later, uh, Hurricane Harvey hit in Houston and had its way with the entire Houston area, and um, it was something, and yet in in hindsight, so thankful for God and his providence bringing me here and connecting me with Mariners. Uh, you all sent money. You sent people time and time again. Uh, you all prayed for us. Um, you you all were as, as much a help uh, in Katy as any church from the outside, I think. Uh Y'all were just tremendous. And so, um, very, very thankful for that.
0: Well, thanks for sharing some of that, Mitch. In that same kind of uh, breath, I would like you to share as the lead pastor of Redeemer Community, one year more or less after Hurricane Harvey. um, Can you share a little bit about how the community is doing? Katie was, from my understanding, other than Houston, one of the most uh, impacted uh, cities that was, was devastated by this and how are things going and how can we continue to partner and pray and be there with you guys? Um,
1: you, Katie was hit pretty hard. I'm not so sure it was as bad as anywhere else. I know that there were some neighborhoods in Katie when they had to, um, they basically had to release some water back into some neighborhoods in Katy, and that meant hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of homes were uh, were flooded, and so it was really, really bad. Um, a year later, in terms of the families of our church, we had 10 families who were flooded, and all of them are back into their homes. Um, and I think that's true of a whole lot of people in Katy, but there's certainly some who if they're back in their homes, it's certainly not ideal. You know, maybe the sheet rocks up, but it hasn't been finished or maybe they've been able to afford kind of getting the house back in order. But you know, the, the furniture situation is not near what it was before the flood. And, um, just so many folks in those affected neighborhoods did not have flood insurance because they weren't in a flood zone. Um, and so that makes it really, really hard when you've got to come up with quite a bit of money, uh, when it's not there. So, you know, for for many folks, it's it's a whole lot better, but I think there's still a good, good handful of folks who are still trying to put it all back together.
0: So, Mitch, I would love for you to share um, one of the biggest things that God revealed to you as a pastor in uh, such a horrible natural disaster. What did he reveal to you in that season? I know that you were kind of a first responder, you probably saw some really hard uh, stuff, but um, how did God kind of speak to you, and what did you learn uh, from him about that um, particular incident?
1: Well, um, probably a few things. I think, on the one hand, with the men and women of our church who went through it, uh, we just celebrated. It's hard to say celebrated. We just, one year, anniversary of the event, and so we brought them all up on stage, and while they were up there, God brought uh, 1 Thessalonians 3 to mind, um, where Paul, writing to the Thessalonians in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he knew they were going through tribulation, and he was he was afraid for them. He wasn't sure how they were doing, and he was fearful that Satan was going to tempt them to essentially give up. And he wanted to get back to see them, but he couldn't. And so he sent Timothy to find out how they were doing, and Timothy came back with a strong report that they were doing wonderfully, even in the midst of their great hardship. And so it was really neat to have those folks up on, up on our stage at Redeemer and to be able to look at each and every one of them and to know that even in the midst of a really, really hard time, uh, their faith in Christ had deepened. So that was encouraging. Um, and it was a great example because hard times are coming all of our ways in one way or another. Another thing that was uh, was really neat, um, churches like Mariners from the outside were tremendous. But I think one of the things we were able to experience in Katy was that the churches within Katy Because of relationship building that we've been doing over the years in Katy with other churches, we were able to come together quickly um, and be a lot further along in relief efforts for the men and women, boys and girls in our city. That's one of the things we heard over and over again was that throughout the Houston area, uh, a lot of people were looking to Katie for how were you all able to come together so quickly. And it was because we've been building relationships with each other over the years. So that was a really sweet thing. And it was a, I've been a part of trying to build those relationships for a long, long time in Katie. And so to be able to, to really take a step back and go, wow, that, that labor was not in vain for when this happened we were able to respond quickly. So it's pretty
0: neat. That's awesome. So why don't we switch gears a little bit off uh, Hurricane Harvey and um, Katie. Uh, and this, you've had a big year, Mitch. I mean, yeah. you uh, you felt a big challenge. You applied for um, something I, I actually find to be pretty much crazy, Uh, and you decided you wanted to climb a mountain and not a small mountain. You decided, I want to climb Mount Rainier, which is in Washington state. I don't even know what the elevation is of that mountain. What is it?
1: 14,400 feet. It's, it's not, it's not a simple 14er though. Lots of folks have hiked a 14er, but Mount Rainier is the most glaciated mountain in the Southern 48. So it's snow and ice. So you can't just hike up there with shorts and tennis shoes. You've got to, have crampons and ice axes and rope and all that good stuff.
0: So why don't you share um, a little bit about um, how you became crazy and decided to do this and, and how the, the contest and all that. Just share a little bit because it is a fun story. And then the experience itself of climbing Mount Rainier.
1: Yeah, so for years I've kind of been fascinated with mountain climbers. Um, I've read a couple books, watched movies. Looked at some YouTube videos, that kind of thing. And probably more than anything, when I lie in bed at night and trying to go to sleep, I think about what would it be like to be in a tent on the side of a mountain. And um, so anyway, I teach a men's Bible study on Friday mornings. After Bible study, five or six of us always go out for breakfast tacos. We were sitting around the table one morning talking about putting a fishing trip together or a camping trip or a golf trip. And I said, guys, one of these days I want to climb a mountain. I just kind of threw it out there. And my buddy said, man, when I was in the Army, we used to play around Mount Rainier. We ought to go climb it. And I said, let's do it. I've never climbed anything. I've never hiked. I've never climbed anything. So I went home that same day, looked online to see if guys like me, sheer novices, could climb Mount Rainier. And you can. Um, you got to be in good shape. you got to be ready and all that. So that very same day, this is how providential it was. That very same day, my wife and I jumped in my Jeep, and we drove to Waco to celebrate our, at that time, 17th wedding anniversary. And uh, we went over to the silos, which is Chip and Joanna Gaines from Fixer Upper Fame. It's kind of their big mecca there in Waco. And we ran into an old friend. Jordy, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm working for Chip and Joanna now. (laughs) We said, great. He said, hey, y'all come back tomorrow, and I'll show you around. So Tara and I went to dinner. We went back to the hotel. We were literally watching (coughs) YouTube videos on climbing Mount Rainier. We go back the next morning over to the silos. We hook up with Jordy. He's showing us around, and I said, hey, Jordy, what's Chip going to do after season five? Because this was season five of Fixer Upper, and then they were going to be done with the show. And he goes, well, he's got some things in mind, but he's doing this deal called Chip Starter. Have you heard of it? I said, no, and he goes, well, he was thankful for people who helped him achieve his crazy dreams, and so he wants to help people achieve their crazy dreams, you know, if you've ever wanted to climb a mountain or anything like that. That's what he said, and I go, Jordy, I want to climb a mountain, and Tara jumped in and said, Jordy, we were lying in bed last night watching videos on climbing Mount Rainier, and Jordy said, well, you ought to submit a video and see what happens. And so there were about 10 days or so left to submit a video. I spent about seven of those days thinking, okay, do I really want to climb a mountain? And if so, do I want to try this? And so eventually I did. I submitted a video. 2,700 videos were submitted. And at the end of the deal, six of us were chosen as winners. And uh, so I got some buddies with me. And on June 18th through the 21st, um, Just this past summer, we went for it. There were eight climbers and four guides. Of the eight climbers, only four of us made it to the top. It was hard. Um, It was really hard. But, you know, thankfully, one step after another, made it to the top.
0: That's awesome. So cool that God kind of even lined that up with Chip and that you won. I mean, that's that's crazy. And so he helped fund that for you and helped fly you there and all the expenses that go into climbing a mountain, and you did it. Congratulations. That's awesome. So I'd love for you to answer one more question before we kind of move into the clarifying the Bible part of our podcast today. And um, just for the guys listening, I think it'd be encouraging for you to share your love for God's Word. And why is it so important for us as men to love God's Word?
1: Well, I say this often, especially when I'm teaching Clarifying the Bible, that um, we are often told you need to read the Bible, you need to study the Bible, you need to get your nose in the book. And I say that's the very best of advice— because it's in the Bible that God has made himself known to us, and it's in the Bible that God has made his ways known to us, and it's in the Bible that God has made his will known to us. And so, if if we are going to be men who know God and know his ways and know his will, then it just follows that we need to be men who increasingly know God's word. Um. The Apostle Paul said that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And I know that I need teaching. I need reproof. I need correction. I need training in righteousness. Um... The apostle Peter said, "Long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation." And I know that I need to grow in my relationship with the Lord. Um, Jesus said, "Sanctify them in your truth; your word is truth." He was praying that to his Father, and he's 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 praying that on behalf of of, of us. Father, sanctify your men, and it's your word that will do it. And so, um, you know, we men are busy. We've, we've got our jobs, and we've got our wives, and we've got our kids, and we've got this, that, and the other. And so it can be hard uh, to, to work time in the word of God into our lives. But it just seems to me that it—it's got to find a place, because we—we want to know Him, we want to fellowship with Him, we want to walk with Him. So, yeah.
0: Well, amen and amen. Thank you for that. All right, so I would love for you to share a little bit about clarifying the Bible and what that is and where we can find it. I believe it's clarifyingthebible.com. Is that right? So guys, if you're listening, make sure you check that out. Mitch um, sells a workbook that goes along with that, but he has recently made the actual two-hour video completely free for you to watch, which is absolutely worth two hours of your time to get a clear Picture of God's word and, and the whole God's story, the whole book, Old Testament through New Testament. It's an incredible experience. So make sure you check that out. Pick up the book as well to go along with that, the study guide. And then, Mitch, yeah, share a little bit about that. And then let's jump right into 2 Timothy.
1: That's exactly right. Clarifying the Bible, Genesis all the way to Revelation in about two hours. Um, obviously, skimming across the top. But um, it's proven to be helpful to lots and lots of folks over the last 10 years. And you're right, clarifyingthebible.com is where you can find it. And yes, the video itself is now uh, free. Um, It's on a YouTube link there at clarifyingthebible.com. And then, of course, the book can be ordered through uh, Amazon. And um, so I'm, I'm amazed that 10 years later... It's still um, bearing a whole lot of fruit, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, Tim, you asked me to maybe not do clarifying the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, but maybe take one book of the Bible and just spend some time to encourage the men. And so I thought I'd do that with Second Timothy. Um, I'm sometimes asked, you know, what's your favorite book? And of course, I respond, the Bible. And then sometimes I'm asked, what's your, fav- or, um, yeah, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And I kind of answer that in two ways. Um, I say, you know, the old deal, if you're stranded on an island and you can only take one book with you, what do you take? And, of course, the answer is your Bible. And if you were asked, okay, you can only have one book of the Bible, I, I'm probably going to tend and say, I'm going to take Romans but then if you ask me, yeah, but what's your favorite? I'm going to say 2 Timothy. Um, I love 2 Timothy. Paul wrote 13 letters in our New Testament, and 2 Timothy is the last one that he wrote. Um, it's only four chapters long, and so it's, it's one of these that you can quickly wrap your head around. Um, I like it for a number of reasons. I think the first is that it's it's a moving book. Um, Paul is in prison for the final time. He had, he had been in a first Roman imprisonment, um, and then we think he was released from that. Then he got arrested again and was taken back to Rome, imprisoned, this time a much harsher imprisonment, and it would be the last one before they would take him outside the city and chop his head off. And so Paul's in prison. And he knows that death is is in the air. Uh, he says in chapter four, um, "The time of my departure has come." So he knows it's coming. Uh, he's somewhat alone. Um, he writes in chapter four that that Demas has deserted him, that Crescens has gone over here, and Titus has gone over there. Only Luke is with me. He's urging Timothy to come as quickly as he can because he knows. He doesn't have a long time to live. He also knows that winter is just around the corner, and he's um, so he's in a rough spot. Uh, he's he's he seemingly his soul is resting in the Lord, but anyway, the end is drawing near. and And Timothy's in a rough spot. He's in Ephesus, and um, the clues we get in the New Testament about Timothy is. Or are that he's a younger man, no doubt about that. In 1 Timothy four, he Paul urges him to not let anybody look down on his youthfulness. On Timothy's youth, youthfulness, um, he seems to be a more timid, fearful, prone to fear than than Paul would be. And Ephesus was a was a difficult place to be, and so it, in that sense, to me, it's a moving book. Paul's in prison; he's. He's gonna die soon, uh, and he knows it. Uh, Timothy is is a younger man in a hard spot, and he's tempted to go quiet. And um, anyway, secondly, it's manly. Uh, when I think about Second Timothy, it's it's Paul, the father, if you will, writing to Timothy, his son. Um. Now, he wasn't his earthly father, but apparently Paul had led him to faith years earlier on Paul's first missionary journey. And so he writes to his son in the faith. He also writes as as the old mentor to his protege. Um, He uses imagery in the book um, of a soldier and of a farmer and of an athlete. And um, he's urging him to suffer. So, I don't know, some of those reasons, it just, it's kind of a manly book. So it's a moving book, it's a manly book, and then certainly, it's a motivating book. I mean, four short chapters, and yet, just over and over, kindle afresh the gift of God. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Retain the standard of sound words. Guard the Holy, through the Holy Spirit, the treasure that's been entrusted to you. The things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men. Um, Continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. Be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry, just over and over and over again. Uh, just these calls to, um, to faithfulness, and to courage and the like. And so, it's moving. It's manly. It's motivating. Um, I love it. When I think about you know four short chapters, chapter one. To me, um, to sum it up in a word maybe is courage, um, or let's follow Jesus courageously. Um, The key phrase in chapter 1 is ashamed. Paul tells him in in chapter 1, verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the sake of the gospel. And then down in verse 12, he tells him, For I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. And then down in verse 16, he says, Ones was not ashamed. He often refreshed me, was not ashamed of my chains. And so do not be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Ones was not ashamed. It seems to be that... Timothy was on the verge of being ashamed of, of letting fear get the best of him and not standing courageously for Christ and the gospel. So don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Onus of force is not, was not ashamed. And then, Chapter two, verse one. I think it should probably be chapter one, verse nineteen. Probably the probably ought to be the last verse of chapter one rather than the first verse of chapter two. So it would be, "Don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Onus of force was not ashamed. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus." So, let's be courageous, men. Don't be ashamed. Let's be strong in the grace that is in Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, so the start of of really chapter 2, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is, knowing he's going to soon be off the scene, is urging Timothy to take the things that, that he had taught him and teach them to others, who will be able to teach others. And then he uses, and I learned this from John Stott. I, I think it's, I think it may be, the way we're meant to follow. Chapter two, he uses six images um, to describe how we're to carry out this ministry. And so, if chapter one is, let's follow Jesus courageously, maybe chapter two is, let's follow Jesus. Faithfully, and the images are this: number one, as a soldier. Um, he says, "Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So maybe the idea of single mindedness, so let's be like let's be like a good soldier. Uh, secondly, An athlete, he says down in verse five, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So maybe the idea of of obedience, and certainly our lives aren't going to be marked by perfect obedience, but but hopefully the direction of our life is that just as an athlete must obey the rules if he's going to win, uh, we want to be obedient to Jesus as we follow him. So let's be like a good soldier. Let's be like great athletes. He then says in verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. And, and so that idea of hardworking, diligence. Um, then we skip down a little bit, maybe to verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to God. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And um, so maybe a workman. Um, All of us have something that we do to make a living. And uh, we try to do that really, really well. We try to be a good workman. And Paul is urging that upon Timothy and through the abiding word of God, urging it upon us as well. Um, that we would be single-minded, like a soldier, obedient, like an athlete, hardworking, like a farmer, and um, approved, maybe, as a workman. A little bit later, he says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And so there's the next image, that of a clean vessel. And I think in the context, uh, probably it's, it's being clean from the defilement of false teaching and the defilement of sin. Um, so we want to, if anyone... Cleanses himself from these things, from the false teaching that Paul had just been describing and the immorality that he mentioned, Um, will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. That sure sounds like something good to me. And then the final one in chapter 2 is the Lord's bondservant down in verse 24. Must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Able to teach, patient with when wronged. So those six images: uh, a soldier, an athlete, a farmer, a workman, a clean vessel, a bond servant. Um, so let's follow Jesus faithfully. So let's follow him courageously in chapter one, faithfully in chapter two, and I think maybe in chapter three. Um, I struggle with this one. Maybe consistently. Or with perseverance, I think the idea in chapter three is that Timothy was tempted because of the hardship that was surrounding him to maybe wait until things got a little bit easier, um, maybe to pro- procrastinate a bit um, until things got easier, and then he would then he would serve Christ again, or then he would be more open about his faith. And Paul, in chapter 3, I think, is telling him, Timothy, it, it's not going to get any easier. Um, he says that evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He opens the chapter saying that difficult times will come, that it's just the the air that we breathe or it's the the water we swim in. As followers of Jesus is that it's it just can be hard, and the idea that we would wait around for easier times is probably not a good idea and so Paul urges him in, in verse ten, "Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured." And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's just going to happen, Timothy. You can't can't opt out of it. And so in verse 14, while evil men are proceeding from bad to worse, verse 14, you, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. Stay at it. Continue. Um, Don't shrink back, persevere. And then finally, chapter 4, the way I like to think of it is is let's follow Jesus expectantly. He opens chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And so he's lifting Timothy's eyes, to the future day when Christ is going to return. And he urges him, in light of that, to to be faithful. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. In verse 5, you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. And then, and this is where I love it, he says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so, in verse 1, he mentions Christ's appearing, and in verse um, 8, he mentions Christ's appearing. And he's, I think he's calling Timothy up and he's calling him to remember that Christ is going to come again and that there's a crown of righteousness to be had. And so let's follow Jesus with expectancy, with courage, with faithfulness, with perseverance, and with expectancy. It makes me think of... uh Some of you may be familiar, years ago, Robert Lewis at Fellowship Bible Church of Little Rock and the Quest for Authentic Manhood curriculum that he put together, he he gave us a definition of manhood that many of us have have leaned into over the years, that an authentic man is is one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and expects God's greater reward. And uh, that's what I think of when I when I read Second Timothy four seven and eight. I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award to me on that day. But not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. That means I can get in on that, and you can get on it in on it too. I think finally, I just i close Second Timothy. Um. If I had to sum the book up in one word, I think it would be stick. And if you're, if you used to run track, you know what I'm talking about. The four by 100 meter relay or the four by 400 meter relay. When that first guy takes off and he has that baton in his hand and he runs his leg just as faithfully as he can. And then it's time for him to be done. And it's time for him to pass the baton on to the next guy. He yells stick. And that next guy reaches back and takes the baton, and then he runs his leg just as faithfully as he can until his time is done. And then he yells, stick, and he passes it to the next guy. And uh, now for the last 2,000 years, you know, Paul said to Timothy, stick. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. His leg of the race was done. And so now he's, he's reaching out to Timothy. Timothy's reaching back to take it. And, uh, and for 2,000 years, stick, 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 stick. And somewhere along the way, somebody cried out to you and me, stick. We reached back. We grabbed it. And now it's our turn to run our leg of the race as faithfully as we can. And along the way, yell stick, pass it on to some other guys. So I hope that's a blessing to you, fellas. I hope uh, it'll encourage you to go home, maybe after listening to this, and uh, grab a cup of coffee, open up to Second Timothy. You can read Second Timothy in about 15 minutes. But just to read it over and over and over and over again, I think it'll be a blessing to you.
0: Thank you so much Mitch for uh being here with us this morning uh what a blessing to have you here and to share god's word with us um thank you guys for tuning in to our first ever uh meta Mariners podcast interview episode and uh like Mitch was saying, our hope is that you would be inspired to to follow Jesus with your whole life and that God's word would be um, a part of your daily um daily, uh, regimen and routine, not because it's something you need to check off a list, but because you love God and you want to get into his presence. And this is where we hear his voice and we, uh, experience the living word of God that it can transform our lives. So thank you again for tuning in and, uh, stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks again, Mitch, for being here.